Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. It is December, a new month where we live, a cold month, except for actually the parts of the United States that we live in. It's not necessarily that cold of a month in either of them. I bought ice cream yesterday for my children <laughs> from the ice cream truck because we were outside uh, doing yard work and setting up uh. Christmas lights. And <laughs> I, I didn't want my children to get overheated. Yeah, I literally and, like and grouchy. Went, I literally went out on the river in a boat today, and I did bring a light hoodie, but I took it off because it was too warm, even with the wind whipping me in the face. So, yeah, it doesn't feel like it should be time for you to be putting up Christmas decorations in your yard, but here we are. You know what else it is time for? It's time for all these end of the year wrap ups, like Spotify Wrapped, which yeah, yeah, like is a it's a thing every year. I feel like, well, but yeah, it's, it was an especially big thing this year. I feel like more people than usual are like getting into it, and I think it's because it was more fun. <laughs> I yeah, I feel like it goes in like because one year there was this huge push like on like Instagram, everyone was posting their like top nine, yeah. Like f- liked photos, so everybody was posting like those, and now that like it's been a couple of years that Spotify has that like available as like a feature where they're like, oh, did you want to see what you're? And now people are like, let's do it. Yeah, for sure. Which is exciting. It is. It's cool to see what other people are like listening to. I actually don't use Spotify for either podcasts or music, and I do feel like I'm missing out, but. It's cool to see like what other people, you get a good insight into other people's like psyche. Also a good insight into our own podcast, which is on Spotify among other places. And we had some really cool things come up like from the creator's side that were like really, really touching. So if you follow the fairy tellers on Instagram, you may have seen this in the Instagram stories. If not, here we go. So some of the things were absolutely mind blowing. 833 fans listened to us, the fairy tellers, more than any other podcast that they listened to. That is so touching. That was so touching. It was like 833 people like listen to the podcast, number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. And then again, you know, like more than any other podcast, like we really appreciate that. That made us feel really good. This is no surprise to anyone. And people will be like, well, how are they calculating this? I think these numbers are a little low. These are rookie numbers. You better get those numbers up. But we produced 1,956 minutes of content this year, um, which is a lot. It's like 36 <laughs> hours. Yeah. But I, I, since I edit the podcast, I happen to know that we've recorded at least 5,000 minutes of content. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. I did not run the numbers. Is it an exaggeration, though? Uh, Maybe not. I'll I'll do some analysis and get back to you. Also, this was a really weird one for them to include, but in such a nice little way that 45 of our fans spent their birthday listening to our podcast. 
It's like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I'm like, there are 45 very special people out there. You know, <laughs> you know? like, I'm truly touched. Okay, like, like I'm not like one to be like, we were like the main event of their birthday. They're like, I'm going to light a cupcake and listen to the fairy tales. But it's still nice, you know, because on a birthday, like you're lots of times out of your routine, you know, like you're doing yeah. stuff that's like special because it's your birthday. So Or you're even thinking if you to yourself to- like, you know what, I'm going to treat myself today. <laughs> And so, like, if you decided to treat yourself to the Fairy Tellers podcast on your birthday, like, that that's very, that's so, that's yeah. so nice to us. That's such yeah, a compliment for sure. to us. And even, you know, the fact that you thought of us at all on your birthday and that we could be a part of it is an honor. And just in the off chance that you're listening to this episode on your birthday, happy birthday. It's your birthday. <laughs> We're so happy for you. Thank you for celebrating with us today. And then the last one that I'll share which again is super crazy to think about, but people in 75 different countries listen to us in the year 2021. Like 75 different countries. There's only like 140 something countries in the whole world, right? No, nope. I think there's like 202. It depends on which ones are recognized by the UN and which ones are secret countries. Look okay. at you, Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, Apparently, there are 195 countries in the world, 193 that are member states of the United Nations, and two countries that are non-member observer states. This is according to worldometers.info, which may or may not be right. So technically, my number that I gave was closer to the right answer, but by rules of the price is right. Yeah, closest without going over. So I win. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But still, I mean, that's 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 a no, lot. That, Seventy-five yeah. different countries is amazing. It is absolutely. So in that spirit, we just want to say once again, thank you so much, the eight hundred thirty-three of you that listen to us more than any podcast, the forty-five of you that listen to us on your birthday, and if you're from one of the seventy-five countries that listen to us here, which by the fact that you are listening to this <laughs> means that you are, all of you, thank you so much for listening to us. It means a lot to us. We love doing this for you and we love interacting with you and we love to see that people care about this stuff as much as we do and are getting some enjoyment out of it. So thank you for joining. And as always, we're excited about the episode today because Katrina is going to get into some stuff that's kind of like personal and like meaningful to her. Yes. I'm excited about this episode. Yeah, exactly for that reason. And it's been on our schedule for a long time. We wanted to do it. Yeah. Since about this time last year. Exactly. So... Last year, I was doing a bunch of research for our episode, A Folklore Guide to Parenting Chronically Naughty Children. <laughs> <laughs> what a great title. That was a good, that one of our better titles. Absolutely. That one was hilarious. It's always hard when we have like episodes that are like compilations of stories. Yeah. Because then we either have to pick one title to put as like the title for the episode or come up with a, a particularly compelling title. Yeah. And that one was amazing. Nailed it. Um, but as I was looking up information for that episode, I discovered that this one family tradition that I grew up with that I had known was Swedish, but I did not know that it was connected to a like a like a particular like folklore and a particular like folkloric creature. And 
I became interested in looking up more information about this creature, Sweden, and Swedish traditions, because that is where my great-grandparents had emigrated from when they came to the United States. When I was doing the research into this and looking at my own like family history, I found out that when my great-grandparents had come into the United States from Sweden, they had come into a community that was not particularly welcoming of Scandinavian people, and they didn't think highly of them, they treated them badly, and as a kind of defense mechanism, they very quickly tried to assimilate into the country so that like they're the second generation that was born um would kind of easily blend into you know other white people in the area mm-hmm. and so it was interesting too because like my grandpa had kind of alluded to this like when he was um, when he was alive, he sometimes would like talk about that. And I had no idea kind of what he was talking about, because obviously, you know, the discrimination that his family faced isn't comparable to like a lot of the discrimination that happens like with other groups of people. Right. And so like, I didn't really have any way to like contextualize like kind of what he was talking about. And so it kind of, especially as a kid, like went over my head, but the more I was looking into this, the more I was finding out that like the reason why our family does not have a ton of Swedish family traditions is because they were pretty much like trying to drop as much Swedish heritage as they could. Yeah. And that is really sad. Um, yeah, that is sad. Yeah. Anytime culture gets destroyed and cultural traditions get destroyed it's very very sad and it happens tragically all the time a lot throughout history um colonization imperialism like it destroys culture and it's amazing how quickly it can start doing that so this last year i became interested in just trying to learn more especially through folklore about my own like family heritage culturally like where these people came from mm-hmm. and you know what what kind of stories they might have been familiar with and told each other and so with that i thought that it would be really cool to do an episode on the tomta tomta I, tomta a homestead elf Or it means like homestead man, Uh but it's this like little mythological figure that we are going to be talking about today. And yeah, so last, (laughs) last year it ended up getting put on, getting put on the schedule. (laughs) I was like, I'm definitely going to want to talk about this next Christmas. And next Christmas is here. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Yay. I'm excited that we're talking about it. Uh, I still know nothing beyond what you've already explained so far, so I am looking forward to learning more. <laughs> Indeed. Been looking forward for a year to this day. Don't let me down. No pressure. Be prepared to be <laughs> super let down. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. On folk wise, like when I was doing something in 
when I was watching one of their like live streams, I think they they were they started talking about like a a peach baby, like a baby that was inside of a peach on Animal Crossing. Like they referenced it, and they were like, uh-huh. they were like, I know that that is related to some folklore, but I don't know what. And Momotaro, I, yeah, I immediately was like Momotaro. And other people were like, oh, yeah, the Peach Boy. And they were like, oh, yeah, the Peach Boy. And then I was like, Momotaro is the Peach Boy. And they're like, oh, (laughs) thank you for telling us that. And then I think it was like Dom. And he was like, he's like, oh, you told us something instead of retelling us something. (laughs) (laughs) I told them a thing instead of retelling them a thing. Um, I was like, hilarious. Anyway, so. Tomta are very, very interesting because their roots may or may not trace back to like pagan times. I say may or may not because like anytime you're kind of like moving backwards, especially into a realm where not a whole lot has been like written down, it's like fuzzy territory. And then sometimes it's like with like, uh, when people come up with like just etymologies of a word that they think is an etymology of a word, but then other people are like, no, that wouldn't have happened. Like there's not that jump there. Oh, like somebody, this is like, this is a little bit off topic, but I'll be quick. There was a person who on TikTok who is on native TikTok, and they started off their um, TikTok by saying hello. And I think it was like, six different um native indigenous languages Uh and somebody in the comments was like that first one you said sounded like the word bonjour is that a coincidence and the person was like it absolutely is a coincidence they are not related at all (laughs) and because i was like yeah because of how would they be (laughs) like they're like this person's like did they get that from the French? No. Or even the other way around. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is even less likely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like there's some things that they're related because like through the, it's coincidence and yeah. not anything else. Anyway, some Nordic traditions hold that there were gods that people would worship that were out in the fields that they would work. And so they would do like special favors or sacrifice or prayers um, to the gods that were over the fields. And then there were gods or spirits that were uh, over the home where people would be like living their lives and like set up and staying. And so there would be like kind of special traditions that would happen with them too. And so as the years went by and people were settling and especially as like Christianity moved into the area, things, you know, started shifting and changing different regions to have, um, you know, different creatures that, morphed in different ways their names changed stuff like that and we we've talked about this a bit when we talked about like krampus and frau holly Mm -hmm. yeah because in a lot of the groups even now if you're looking inside of germany there are sections that have different names for these characters and they have slightly different attributes slightly different stories And so it's a lot like that, too, in like the Scandinavian cultures, where you have a lot of very similar creatures, 
who perform like some overlapping tasks, some not. Um, and so the scholarship is like really fuzzy. But eventually we arrive in Sweden with the Tomta. And a Tomta is a spirit, usually a kind spirit that a creature that lives inside of the house mm-hmm. and helps to like care for the house. So, or the farmstead. So one of the stories about where the Tomta comes from is that they are the first person who lived and worked that land as like a homestead, which considering that farms are usually passed down through like family lines It has this very like paternal feeling of like, oh, we're being looked after by our, you know, great, 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 great grandfather's spirit. And the things that like Tomta were typically like thought to do around the the farm or the homestead is like little tasks that you would maybe think were like happenstance or luck or whatever that they, uh-huh. things worked out the way that they worked out where it's like, you know, somebody going to the stove right before something's about to boil over and, right. you know, you know, catching it in time to like yeah. not, not spoil dinner or like not over churning the butter or, you know, like different things like that where yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like just those things where it's like, Oh, that was a close one. And they'd be like, they would thank the Tomta that 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 turned out well. And so some people believe that the first thought of like these Tomta was that it was this spirit of the first man to like settle that homestead. Mm -hmm. But then other people think that they were basically these kind of home spirits, home deities that were prayed to or given some kind of like, you know, little offering to back in the like pagan times and that they'd kind of been made smaller and smaller and smaller as a creature, you know, as Christianity moved in, they became less and less of like a big thing, but that they are kind of like an elf. Mm-hmm. And this is where like language is tricky because it's one of those things where if I equate it to something else, it's like it's a ghoul zombie problem <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that we've had like through the year of like, oh, if I say an English equivalent word, then it makes it sound like they perform exactly the same function when yeah. like they don't. But it's kind of like that. So, and elf is a confusing enough word in English as it is, let alone like cross lingually, you know, like you got Tolkien elves, <laughs> you got the Keebler elves, you got the ones that work for cobblers, which aren't even like a thing anymore. Santa's elves. Yeah. There's a lot of different types of elves. There are. And so what's interesting is like most people, if they looked at like a picture of what is depicted as like a Tomta, they would think garden gnome because <laughs> that's kind of like the image yeah, where they the, are the look of them. Yeah. Where it's like, they're small. They usually, so, and this varies from place to place. 
they will have like a long white beard. In other countries, they will be like fresh faced Mm -hmm. boys. But the ones that most people think of are like long white beard. They're usually wearing either gray or blue clothes, Mm -hmm. but they wear like a bright red, like cone hat. (laughs) That's 100% a gnome. Yes, exactly. Like when people look at that, they think like, oh, garden gnome. And that actually like the, the gnomes really like it plays into even like the idea of nationalism. Norway, we've talked in the past about Norway and trolls and how like Mm -hmm. that was an element that they really leaned into hard as they were trying to establish like a national identity, especially because like in Norway, at the same time that the collection of fairy tales was starting and folk tales was starting to take place in Norway was also when they were solidifying a written language in Norwegian. Mm-hmm. And so those tales about like trolls really became important to them as they were establishing like a national identity. And now like if you go to Norway, there's a lot of different sculptures and wood carvings and stuff of trolls and also garden gnomes like gnomes are a thing like in Sweden and they are like the tomta. And so yeah. uh, tomta is like a, it's a Swedish word. And so there are other Swedish words that they will use to like, so like a gnome, like how we think of like a garden gnome for them. It's like, yeah, jardin tomta where it's like garden tomta interesting and so so it's like they are related yes (laughs) it's not just like oh we like conflated this one thing and change it to this other thing it's like no it's like it's like a subset of yeah yeah where it's like is the garden it's like no like they're they're connected that's crazy yeah i love that and that's swedish i didn't know that like because that's like a thing and it makes sense i mean because obviously we have the United States of America is a country of immigrants. Everyone came from somewhere else, and Sweden is a, a big one. And depending on the region of the country that you live in, yeah. Um, but it's like you know, it's become like a very like American. It's part of American culture too. The garden, gnome, yeah. You know, I mean, it would it'd be interesting. I'm now I'm really interested to like kind of like look up the history of like kitschy garden gnomes. Yeah, and see where. Yeah, and be like, when did people start putting these in our yard? Because it's like when people think of like. Florida and like uh-huh. yards flamingos they're like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh here are these like flamingos in the yard and it's like <laughs> when I mean that's interesting like folklore study too of like kitschy garden art that will be my master's thesis <laughs> of like <laughs> like how does that like when somebody saw like the first flamingo in somebody's yard like how many people were like oh I want one too. Brilliant. And then like, how did they spread all the way like across the country? And now it's just kind of like a symbol of like, like if, because like during Halloween one year, my husband and I bought skeleton mm. flamingos, flamingos to put in our yard. I've seen those. I was really yeah. upset. Somebody it's a thing stole and people them from our yard. Because <gasps> they were so cool. We had them one year and they all got stolen. I was very sad. But like, yeah, it's so much of a thing where people are like, oh, I know what that is that, you know, for Halloween decoration, you could put a skeleton of one in your yard and people would know that it's that's a joke. Yeah, because the yeah, the flamingos are like ubiquitous, like, 
Yeah, that is so fascinating. I mean, the gnome thing, the flamingo thing. Yeah, totally. And it is very, that is total folklore, like fodder, because, you know, talking about like transmission is one part of it, yeah. but then the variation, like the fact that there's a skeletal version proves the variation. <laughs> and even their variations of like the, you know, normal flamingos as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's just crazy. And the gnomes too. That would be really interesting to go, but it seems likely that it's from Sweden. Yeah. But why did we do it in our yards? We don't know. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll that, explore yeah, like, and get back to you. Now I'm, I'm, I've piqued my own curiosity. So when I was looking up information on Tolmta in fairy tales, I was finding a lot of more modern um, literary fairy tales. So fairy tales that were created by like a single author, not um, folk tales. And I started to look into like why that was. And basically why that was, was because when tales were like being collected, the stories of the Tomta were not one of the biggest stories that was being collected. One of the, the most collected stories in Sweden particularly was stories that explained the landscape of Sweden. Interesting. Yeah, which I... Well, those were the ones that the when they were collecting them, they were like, "Oh, these are important." Like, and explains your love of geomythology. <laughs> oh it's my in your gosh. cultural heritage. It's part of my cultural heritage. <laughs> I'm going to ta- tell that to my dad, who is a um, geophysicist. geophysicist. Well, what's also interesting is when we told when we did the geomythology episode, I said that my great grandmother, the one that you know came to the United States. Yeah. She was born inside of an area yeah, that, that was a, it's a, uh, it was a crater, crater, an impact crater. Yeah. My, my grand, my great grandmother was born in an impact crater in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we're like little star babies. Um, not really. We all are star babies. We all are made of star stuff. It's. We've, we've heard the Neil deGrasse Tyson clip. <laughs> The Carl Sagan, like, yeah. Um, And Carl Sagan. So a lot of the stories were these tales about how the land was formed the way it was. Um, Tales with uh, trolls in them and not Tomta. And animal stories. People love animals. So there are a couple stories that were written down in collections of folk tales that include the Tomta, um, most of them very short. And it wasn't until later when, after Hans Christian Andersen, he was kind of the first Scandinavian writer to start exploring the literary fairy tale, like as a genre. Mm-hmm. And then later on after him, Swedish people and other like Scandinavian writers who remembered this like character from their own childhoods and family traditions in their homes started yeah. to create more stories about the Tomta, which is great because, you know, I've been able to find books that have Tomtas as characters yeah. and give those to my children. So I'm going to tell a story that is from one of the earlier books it is called Swedish Fairy Tales, and it's by Herman Hofberg. 
And this book was written in 1890. So kind of for the stories that we tell, it's like kind of recent. Yeah. 1890 seems to be kind of like a big like European folklore, like, hey, we're going to write this stuff down now. Yeah. Time. Well, it was because a lot of the the countries were starting to... Uh, like the whole like national identity Exactly. Thing. And I mean, that's why the Grimm's brothers had started to write down theirs. Yeah. Because they were trying to um, establish Germany's kind of national identity. And it's interesting because some of the writers that they got their writings from were actually French. and so like there's always like a significant overlap as like these groups because as they're solidifying like of course they have their different variations in their country and then they also share some stories with each other so yeah there's a lot of like mixing but yeah at that time there there was this like push to start recording stories and establishing like a national identity and so yeah the late 1800s was a time when there were just a lot of European folklore books being compiled. So the one story inside of this book, it is called the Tomta. And it's basically just like a description of the Tomta with like a little bit of story. And this story is the one that if, if you look up, Tomta, it's like the story that you will find about them. Right. Because it basically is like the story that got written down. (laughs) (laughs) So the story starts off kind of just describing Tomta and saying that they look like little men a lot, well along in years. So, you know, that like bearded man that we all kind of think of with garden gnomes. Mm -hmm. And it says that they normally make their homes either in the pantry or in the barn, which I'm like, dude, I'd prefer the pantry. (laughs) (laughs) And whenever, you know, the people of the house are kind of away, they are looking after things, just checking on the animals, making sure that they're like doing okay, maybe helping out like here or there, fixing up different things, fixing loose doorknobs or like mending tools, just like anything they can do to like help. But they also like their homes to be like fairly clean. And so if the servants haven't been doing a good job of like cleaning up after the animals or the servants are mistreating the animals, then the Tomta are known to be a little tricksy and <laughs> to break things to kind of get back at the servants for their uh-huh. negligence that they're seeing yeah. them do. So one night a year, the night of Yuletide, the Tomta expect to get a an some kind of like an offering, a treat, some kind of Thank you for the work that they've done on the farm. And this is how it kind of relates to like those like pagan homestead gods, field gods. And and Yuletide is when it is the shortest night of the year. So it's thought of as like the new year, like a New Year's Eve, because Mm -hmm. after that night, days are going to start growing in length and, you know, the year will start going again. And so on this Yuletide, New Year's Eve type night, 
it is expected that the family will leave out a bowl of rice porridge. And this is the family tradition that like I had when like I was a kid that made me go, wait, what is going on when I found it inside of like folklore? Because we would make a bowl of this like rice porridge. So it's like this um, cinnamon Mm. rice porridge, thick cream, like cooked into like this rice. And you can put jam on top of it or butter. It's interesting because on Christmas Eve in Sweden, they will make like a pot of rice porridge or like rice pudding Yeah. in the morning for breakfast. That is like less sweet. It's more of just a like a hearty uh, right. like bowl of something to, you know, warm you up get your day started but then the leftovers are then sweetened up sugar is added to it cinnamon's added to it and it gets turned into a dessert for christmas eve nice and then you can put economical yeah like it makes sense in my family we like hide a skinned almond inside of it and the person whose bowl has the almond in it like when they find it they get a present that they get to open so it's like a little party game. Yeah, that's fun. And my family, it was like always something that basically everybody could enjoy. Where it, like it was like a movie, like you'd open it up and it was like a DVD. Right. So then everybody could watch a movie or it was a like a, a family game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, just something random and fun. But with the Tomta, what you are supposed to do is leave them out a bowl of this rice pudding that they love so that they know how grateful you were for the work that they've done over the year. And I mean, we would leave our bowl of rice pudding out for Santa to eat because, you know, the tradition had kind of morphed away from Tomta. But yeah, in the story, they're like, you need to leave out a bowl of rice pudding or this rice porridge for the Tomta to say thank you. And he loves it if you put a little pat of butter right on top, right in the middle, melting into it, just giving it even more tasty, flavorful goodness. And if you don't, and he thinks that you are ungrateful for all the work that he does, bad things can happen. And in this most famous story about a Tomta, because it was one of the Uh only ones that was recorded, (laughs) this Yuletide Eve, this family was going to leave out porridge for their Tomta. And this Tomta was really, really looking forward to eating his rice porridge. And he was looking forward to that big glob of butter on top. But the person who had prepared it for him had put the butter in first into the bowl and then put Mm. the rice pudding on top and then left it out for their tomta. So when everybody had gone to bed that night, the tomta crept out of the barn and came into the house and he saw his bowl of rice porridge and he was super excited. He went over to his bowl of rice porridge and he looked in and he saw that there was no butter. And he was like, you know what? I've had it with you people. I, <laughs> oh, my goodness. All the work that I did all year long for you, and you couldn't even give me one scoop of butter on my rice porridge. No, 
I will not stand for this. This is entirely inappropriate. How could you? My feelings are hurt. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach you a lesson because a lesson needs to be taught. So he went out to the barn and killed their best cow. Oh, my gosh. And after he was done killing their best cow, he was like, good, that will teach them. But also, I'm hungry and I'm still going to eat that rice porridge, even though it didn't have that (laughs) butter on top. So he went back into Uh the house and he started to eat his rice porridge. And as he was getting further and further into the bowl, he found the melted butter all savory at the bottom. And he was like, Mm. oh, no. (laughs) 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 I made a horrible mistake. And so he quickly went and started looking around the countryside to see if he could find a cow that looked similar. (laughs) (laughs) It's like all those stories of like people when like their like child's goldfish die, but they don't want their child to know their goldfish die. So they're Uh. like, I have to go everywhere to find a similar looking goldfish. It was that, except that this was a cow he was looking for. So like, I think it was like two or three estates over. He found a similar looking cow. And so he took that cow, (laughs) stole it, (laughs) brought it back to the barn. And then he took the dead cow and dragged it to the other. (laughs) 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 And left it in their barn. And, and in the morning, their Tonta woke up and was like, wait, hold up. That was not me. <laughs> I didn't do this. I've been framed. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, the next morning, everybody on the farm woke up and they were none the wiser to what had happened the night before. But that Tomta promised himself that he would never be that hasty to his anger ever again. Lesson well learned, Tomta. I feel bad for the person (laughs) who ends up with a dead cow (laughs) who, like, didn't do anything. Yeah. That's so great. I love that. There's so much that's interesting about it. I love that the Tomta, while being, you know, like, a spirit, uh, whatever, like, it's very human in the way that it behaves, like, Make it made a mistake. It like acted hastily. It learned a lesson. It like tried to cover up the mistake that it made by like dragging a dead cow across the countryside. Uh, it's like so relatable. Like we are we're relating to the Tomta being like, "Yep, been there, buddy." Yeah, been there. Yeah, of like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I let my anger get the better of me, and now I've done this horrible thing. You know what else is fascinating about this? The whole, like the whole time we've been talking about the Tomta, this has kind of like come into my brain. But um, a listener of the podcast actually recommended a book to me last year, the year before, I think, mm-hmm. early into the podcast called The Bear and the Nightingale. Have I told you about this book? It's a fictional book. Yes, I feel like you did. But yeah, I read the book and it was super fascinating. It was really cool because it's like takes place in Russia and on this like kind of like farm estate, like well outside of Moscow. But in that book, they have the same sort of thing about these like little creatures that live in the home. Like there's one that like lives in the oven. There's one that lives in the barn and there's all these things like about it. It sounds exactly like the Tomta. And one of the things is like, 
the girl, the main character is kind of one of the only people like she can see them. Mm -hmm. Most people like even if they believe in them, they can't see them. She can see them and she can see that because people aren't like believing in them and because people aren't leaving those offerings and doing whatever like that these bad things are happening. But also like the power of these spirits that are like helping them Mm -hmm. by doing all these little tasks like you're saying is like getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And it's just so fascinating because again, it's like that's Russia, not Scandinavia, not Sweden. But it's just like geographically very close. So it's just like it's so cool that there's, you know, that similar thing. But I was like, I don't know. It's just like a fascinating idea for a creature. It's like a haunting but in a good way. Yeah, I mean, it's very like akin to the like the elves that in the story of like the shoemaker that you kind of yeah. I think you alluded to at the beginning of the episode, uh-huh. where there are these like little elves that you know they did nice things for the elves, like as they were like leaving them out little clothes or little shoes, they were working harder for them. But then it was like the second that the shoemaker saw them, I think they like disappeared because they'd like been spotted. And they're they're very much like related to that because connected like with like this story that I just told is like another little, little like mini tale of basically there was a housewife who realized that as she was taking like flour out of her bins it wasn't like getting lower like her store Mm -hmm. of like ground flour was not getting any lower it just always seemed to be like filled so one day she went to the larder which is like a pantry And she could hear something like going on inside. And so she kind of like looked through like just a little gap in like the wood. And she saw this like little man inside of there who was like, (laughs) you know, grinding and sifting flour and like making sure that, you know, the, the bin was like full and ready. And as she was like watching him like working really hard, she noticed that like his clothes that he was wearing, they looked really, really worn out and that they, you know, were falling to pieces. They didn't look warm. They didn't look comfy. They didn't look clean. And so she decided that what she was going to do since he'd obviously been working really, really hard for her was that he, she was going to make him a new suit. And so she like made him these like new clothes and then she hung them on the meal bin, the, the flower bin And then she, like, hid so that she could, like, see him find his new clothes. Then when he came again, he saw, like, the new clothes and he was like, those are so nice. They look so amazing. Oh, my gosh. And he immediately, like, took off his, like, old and tattered clothes and he put on the brand new ones. And as he was, like, he was, like, looking at himself and he's like, oh, man, I look, this looks so good. These clothes are so nice. I've never had such, like, nice clothes before. And he started to, like, grind and sift the flour. And he noticed that as he was doing it, his clothes were getting like dusty and dirty. And so he was like, you know what? Instead of getting these clothes all dirty, I should probably just stop making flour. And then he left. (laughs) (laughs) Backfire. Yeah. And I was like, but I thought was so interesting about this story was that like, I mean, we've encountered this before in stories where we get to the end and it feels like the moral that we're like used to mm-hmm. doesn't play out the way that 
you know, we thought it would. Because it's like, yeah. in this, she does something very, very nice for her Tomta, where she's like, yeah. oh, he's been helping me. I want to do something nice for him. But then it backfires, and now she doesn't get her, you know, flower yeah. ground uh, and up anymore and prepared for her. So she has to yeah. go back to doing it herself. And so, it, like, it makes you wonder, like, you know, what the point of that story was. Whether it was just like, oh, you know, that's, like, it's really funny and really entertaining. Yeah. Or whether... It, there is a moral in it, which is like, don't meddle with the lives of the, like the other. Yeah. Cause it's like, what, yeah. What was the purpose of this story? Like be, outside of like entertainment. Right. Yeah. It is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of things to it. Like one thing is from the perspective we're in being familiar with so many stories and so many fairy tales, folk tales that have become literature and then our expectations of there being a moral, of there being a meaning of like, what is this teaching us and telling us is very strong, yeah. number one. Whereas we forget, like sometimes the point is just to entertain. But another thing I think is interesting about just the nature of these creatures as well, we talk all the time about like the fae and fairies yeah. and their, you know, Dungeons and Dragons character alignment <laughs> as being chaotic, neutral, in the sense that it's just like, they just do what they want to do. And that kind of seems like this too, like when you're explaining the nature of the Tomta at the beginning, where they're like the creatures that live around your house and they're like, the, you can attribute kind of the coincidental things that happen to the, to the Tomta. Like sometimes bad things still happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes you do burn dinner. Sometimes whatever, you know, the pot does boil over. And it's like, well, why? What did we do to, like, offend the Tomta that they allowed this to happen? And sometimes it's, you know, there's, I think it, like, reinforces it. It's like, oh, well, we didn't give it an offering, and that's why that happened. Or sometimes it's like, we did everything that we were supposed to do. We did give it an offering, and still this bad thing happened. That's just the nature of the world that, like, no matter what you do, bad things happen yeah. sometimes still. And I think that that's kind of one of those things to say, like, oh, even when you do the right thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be rewarded for it. Like, and you should feel bad for making this thing some clothes yeah. as a reward for what it did. But it's like, you also can't control what the consequences of that are going to be. And sometimes things, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just interesting that like, I don't know, that seems to, to speak very much to the nature of the Tomta as I understand it from, you know, the brief 40 minutes that I've been uh, <laughs> under your tutelage and learning about them. <laughs> No, and, but yeah, it's just fascinating. And then also, I mean, the purpose of it too can be the like reinforcement of like that group identity, that that uh, establishing of like a, a culture of like like no, we believe that these like these little things they ha they happen to people, and so this story like reinforces that like sometimes you you know you do notice like oh why does this bin never get empty, but then like on the group identity level, it's this story of like, yeah, we believe that those little things do happen. And we as a group believe in these Tomta and like these little like house spirits that live in this special place where we live. Yeah. And the story is just funny. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. I mean, and it's like, it's like the other one too, in the sense that it's like the cow got killed. For no reason. It's like the opposite. Yeah. Almost. Like they did do what the thing wanted, but he just didn't get it. And so like their cow got murdered. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like your cow dies. Why did it die? 
when you were doing what you're supposed to and leaving out your offering or whatever. You know, it's just yeah. the unpredictability of the world. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was interesting, if I'm remembering correctly what you said, just about how the, like there's only these few kind of recorded stories of the Tomta. Yeah. And even going back to when you were talking about like Swedish immigrants coming to the United States and their culture sort of disappearing. And yet you still have like a tradition that did get passed down to you through your family. Remind me of something that I was um, reading Folklore 101 by Dr. Jenna Jorgensen. Yeah, I feel like it's our new favorite book that we quote like all the time. It's my new favorite because it's the one folklore book that I've actually read. I'm like, it's your uh, The Arabian Nights of Companion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and she was talking in there about one of the super interesting things about folklore. One, Like the point of folklore is the fact that like things only persist because they are valuable and have meaning to people. We, we talk about all the time yeah. because it's not written down because it's not like institutionalized and they're forcing you to read it in schools because it's by its nature, this informal thing that's just pass along people. It only exists as long as people find value in it. And it's interesting that the Tomta, like you said, it didn't get a lot of things recorded then, but somehow it's kind of like come back to being this thing that people now look back on and are like, oh no, this is important and it has still stuck around. And I think that's a sort of a similar thing. Like in your family's case, when they moved and they had to kind of suppress the culture and all that stuff, like that is really sad. And that's another thing that could happen. It's like, it's not that it wasn't valuable to them, but the value that it had to them was overridden by the fact that to survive, they needed to assimilate, which meant suppressing that. But again, in that situation, certain things that were important, that were valuable to them, changed and morphed and were carried on yeah. because it did have value, because it was important. And that, I think, too, is another fascinating thing about folklore, which is something I thought at the beginning of this episode, which it's a great tie now that we're back at the end. Yeah. No, and you actually made me realize that, like, the fact that the story disappeared in my like the the the, the creature of the tomta like disappeared like in my family culture but we kept the food <laughs> <laughs> very telling it's yeah and it's like food ways um and so it's like they couldn't keep all of their folk traditions but yeah. it still made it down several generations to me yeah. and now like i'm making that porridge with my kids and on like the Yuletide Eve, we set it out for our Tomta. Yeah. And our Tomta leaves little presents because that is also like part of like it, but they, it always leaves these presents that allow my children to be little like tricksters. Oh, silly string. (laughs) How, how dare that little Tomta bring these naughty little presents into my house. And that's another thing that's like, is really beautiful about it. It's like the Tomta was lost, but now for whatever reason, it's something that is important to you and your family. And again, to other people as well, which is why there are books and, you know, kids books and stuff that have these creatures in them as well. It's like, even though they were kind of lost for whatever reason, they're making a comeback And there's something interesting and important about that. Do I know exactly what it is? Not necessarily, but I think it's beautiful. So one of the amazing things about folktales to me is 
how they can connect you with cultures outside of your own that you aren't familiar with and they can just give you this little like insight like into that culture but also they have so much power to reconnect you with a culture that you might have thought that you've lost touch with and as i was like doing family history research into my own family through folk tales I was able to kind of bring back some of the folktales into my family that were like culturally like relevant and deeply important to me. And it's a little easier when it's not religiously based. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not trying to like add back anything that, you know, is part of like a a people that, you know, I don't have a connection with or that I'm not welcome in. I'm not saying like, people should insert themselves into like (laughs) different cultures and then assume that they're part of those. But just like getting reacquainted with your own family heritage. I know there are lots of people in this world and there are lots of people in this world who listen to this podcast who are part of diaspora communities of people who were either forced away from the land of their cultural heritage or at some point in their family's history they moved away from that culture and so like i just want to encourage people that if there is a part of your like family history and part of your cultural heritage that you want to reconnect with digging into like folklore finding out more about like the stories, the material culture, the food, like just going in that way is just a really beautiful and accessible way to reconnect with some of those like cultural roots and embrace some of the parts of your cultural history that you might have thought were lost. And also to the people who are in the 75, was that what it was? 75 different countries? Yeah, 75. So the people who are in the 75 different countries listening to our podcast, I want to encourage you to, if you are in the the country of your cultural heritage and you wish that there was more recorded folklore out there for you, do it. Find it. Hunt it down. And if you have the ability, like, record it and share it. Find some way to, like, keep folklore and the stories from your country and your culture alive. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar
I'm like, oh, that's not a great quote. But I'll say it anyway. 